Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Good morning. It's 830 on Monday, June 20th. I'm Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the story of emancipation in Mississippi, then what Pride Month means to the queer community in Jackson. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. We hope you're enjoying some time off on this Freedom Day in the U.S. Juneteenth is not a state holiday in Mississippi, but the holiday, of course, marks the date on which enslaved people in Galveston, Texas, learned in 1865 they were legally free. Today, we'd like to revisit the story of emancipation in Mississippi. Here's University of Southern Mississippi history professor Max Grivno. The Mississippi story of emancipation is a very long and uneven uh, history. It begins really with the state's secession from the Union and the outbreak of the Civil War. Uh, The outbreak of the Civil War, the majority of people in Mississippi were enslaved people of African descent. It was a black-majority state and had been so since the 1830s. Mississippi secession commissioners made it very clear that they were seceding to preserve the institution of slavery. The state's ordinance of secession has that infamous line, our position is thoroughly identified with the institution of slavery. Uh, While secession was being debated, and in those months between secession and the Civil War, the state was inundated with a wave of uh, slave insurrections. Some of these may have simply been rumors. They may have been uh, near hysterical planters convinced that the uh, enslaved were going to rise up. Uh, But some of those insurrections seem to have actually been real plans, real conspiracies uh, among the enslaved. Uh, And even when rebelliousness didn't quite lead to a full-scale insurrection. Uh, Newspapers and journals and letters kept by planters all indicate a kind of rising tide of unrest inside the state, of enslaved people beginning to uh, assert themselves, uh, refusing to do work, answering back, or in some cases running away. And that was really all before the fighting even even began. And I I think one way to imagine the state's planter class is to imagine a a class of people who knew they were sitting on a a powder keg. Uh, All through the 1850s and 1860s, they'd made it clear that the crisis the nation was facing was a crisis about slavery. And the enslaved had heard those debates. They had 
kept apprised of, of the news, and, and they knew that their freedom would be at stake in this war. So as the nation plunged into war, they took the opportunity to, to push for their freedom. During that, those early months uh, of the war, um, the federal government began moving very slowly uh, to make emancipation uh, an official aim of, of the war. Was that done intentionally for fear of more clashes with um, the southern planters? Uh, the federal government's uh, decision to begin striking at slavery in the uh, summer of 1861 uh, was really meant to deprive the Confederacy of the labor of, of enslaved people. Uh, and again, it was a very slow process. It began with a series of laws known as the Militia and, and Confiscation Acts, which declared that the Union Army would no longer return runaway slaves to their owners if their owners were participating in the rebellion. Uh, so enslaved people who may have been at work in the Confederate Army, people forced to cook or drive wagons or dig fortifications, uh, the United States declared that if those people reached Union lines, they would not be returned. And then they stated that um, they could be employed in military labor, right? Not quite as soldiers at first, but sent to work again uh, doing the kind of fatigue duty that armies need, need to do. Right? There's, a, there's a realization among Union officers and, and politicians as well that striking at slavery was a way to bring the, the Confederacy to heel. And what you see happening in those opening months of the war is a kind of convergence, right, where the enslaved are, are rising up and often risking their lives to run away to get to Union lines. And then Union authorities, uh, both military and political, recognizing that those enslaved people could be a valuable military asset. Uh, and that would culminate, right, that sort of trend would culminate in uh, the fall of 1862, when, um, when Abraham Lincoln issued the, the Emancipation Proclamation. And what's important to remember about the Emancipation Proclamation is that um, it only affected territory that was in open rebellion against the United States. So the states that had seceded and that were still in rebellion, uh, the enslaved people there were free. Uh, but that freedom would only really have meaning if the enslaved people themselves could get to Union lines, which meant running away, uh, and was often a very dangerous, um, a very dangerous thing for enslaved people to do, uh, the Confederate military um, was often employed as a kind of slave patrol uh, to arrest uh, and, in some cases, execute enslaved people who were running away, uh, and behind the lines. Uh, Confederate uh, slaveholders were doing everything in their power to keep enslaved people from running away. So in some parts of Mississippi, before the Union Army took control uh, of, the, of the river, uh, slaveholders took, uh, took their enslaved people into uh, Louisiana, uh, but often Texas. Once the Union Army had taken control of the river and parts of western Mississippi, Slaveholders began pulling their enslaved people into 
the eastern half of Mississippi or even taking them to uh, Alabama, Georgia, and other states deep in the Confederate interior to keep them from from reaching Union lines. So how long did this go on before uh, emancipation? Throughout the the war. You you can imagine that everywhere that Union armies went, right, as the Union army moved up the river toward Natchez, as they moved down the river from Memphis, and then once you get into 1863, when the Union army controlled about the the western third of the state, um, slaveholders were constantly pulling their people away from from the federal military to keep them from, from receiving their freedom. Uh, again, that's why I mentioned this is a very, very uneven process, because freedom only really had meaning when the enslaved people could reach the safety of, of Union lines. And, and when the war ended, uh, you can kind of draw a, a line across Mississippi, a, a crooked line, sort of going from Natchez uh, up to Jackson and then kind of up toward toward Memphis. That territory was, uh, was under Union control. And the enslaved people or the formerly enslaved people in that territory were beginning to build a kind of post-war uh, economy, uh, working as, as wage laborers on plantations that had been seized by the federal government, and in some cases sold to to Northerners who had come south to operate cotton plantations in uh, the areas around Natchez and Vicksburg. So even before the fighting ended, you start to see the shape of a of a post-war world emerging in some parts of the state. Uh, but in the eastern half of Mississippi, um, which was uh, still under Confederate control. Uh, slavery remained uh, intact uh, until uh, in, until the war ended, and in some of the more remote parts of the state, uh, parts of the state where federal authorities really didn't didn't reach during the war, there there were pockets of slavery that persisted into May, June, uh, even a, a few uh, scattered cases uh, of June and, or excuse me of July and August of of some enslaved people remaining in bondage. Anything that I didn't ask you that's important to mention about this? Um, One of the things that is important to remember is that freedom was not something that was given to black Mississippians, right? It was something that they they earned through through struggle, right? They were not sort of sitting on their farms or plantations passively, waiting for the Union Army to, to free them. Uh, enslaved people ran away. Uh, they passed information along to Union scouts. They assisted Union prisoners of war uh, in their escape attempts. Uh, they worked as military laborers to support the Union cause. And they also fought in the Union Army and the Union Navy. Uh, about a quarter of the black men of military age in Mississippi um, served in the in the Union Army. Right? They were uh, staking their lives for for freedom, and that the Civil War in Mississippi was more than just a clash between the North and the South. Right? It was also a clash in which uh, enslaved Mississippians uh, were fully engaged in the struggle to to claim their freedom, and they not only 
aided the union war effort, but they also, in many ways, thwarted or undermined the Confederate war effort. Because the enslaved people were rising up, right? because they were running away, uh, the Confederacy had to keep uh, had to keep soldiers on the home front right? to police to police the enslaved population. And every soldier that the Confederacy had to keep behind the lines to help control the enslaved population was one less soldier that they could send off to the front to fight to fight the Union. So even the enslaved people who never managed to reach Union lines, right, they still posed a threat to the Confederacy, a threat that was serious enough that the Confederacy had to keep this network of home guard companies, right, working behind behind the lines. So it, it's important to underscore that, you know, the, the enslaved population was willing to fight for its freedom, and, and it did. Max Grivno teaches history at the University of Southern Mississippi. Coming up, what Pride Month means to the queer community in Jackson. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. June marks LGBTQ Pride Month in America. It's a time both for celebration and education, according to Jason McCarty. He's executive director of the Jackson-based Capital City Pride. McCarty speaks with MPB's Kobe Vance. What do you see as the importance of celebrating Pride Month? You know, I think that sometimes, you know, the younger generation, which I'm grateful for, doesn't really understand the struggle of what it was like to be queer um, in the United States, especially in Mississippi, a few years ago. You know, I I think that we have forgotten um, about the AIDS crisis um, in the 90s because we have such amazing advanced medicine now that um, you could take a daily pill um, and not have the risk of exposure to HIV. Um, and so we try to make sure that we, in all of our events, we are remembering our past while celebrating our today, but ensuring that our future um, is equal for all gay Mississippians and our allies. You know, it, it started in Stonewall. It started in New York City as a riot to make sure that gay people had a safe space um, to be their selves and their most authentic self. And Capital City Pride has really made sure that in our mission statement, it says the first sentence is to create safe spaces. Um, And so we want to make sure that Jacksonians and our surrounding neighborhood cities um, can have a place where you can come and even if it's for an hour, be your most authentic self. Um, But Pride Month is a month to remember that struggle, to remember those people in New York City that were beaten, um, to remember our fallen um, friends that died of the AIDS epidemic, and to remember that there are still laws in many states, including Mississippi, 
that directly impact LGBTQ plus people. So our fight is not over, but for the month of June, I do try to make sure that we have a lot of fun and that we can celebrate um, our successes along the way. And I'm very, very, very grateful to Jackson. Jackson has been a beacon of hope and light, in my opinion. Um, the city um, has embraced Capital City Pride and our gay culture that we're creating. Um, the mayor of Jackson declared June as Pride Month for the city of Jackson. And our allies and our business partners have been extremely opening and welcoming. So although we like to think about um, a lot of the past and a lot of the struggles, I also want to celebrate today um, and celebrate in June that our business community has really embraced our organization and our allies show out and show up. And so for that, I'm extremely grateful. I also wanted to ask, what is it like being somebody that is a member of the LGBTQ plus community here in Mississippi currently? Uh, and how have things changed since the 70s, the 90s and ongoing? Yeah, I could ask that a lot. Um, and I, I, I say pretty much the same thing. And I'll say to you, um, being gay in the United States is not easy. But being gay in Mississippi has its own sets of challenges. You know, I have never seen so many people in a position of power want to directly um, go against a population like I have when we talk about LGBTQ rights. And I think a lot of it is education. I think a lot of it, we're so stuck in a Bible Belt mentality that God doesn't love gay people. And, and I'm grateful for... Um, churches like St. James and Safe Harbor um, and other Episcopal churches around the city that has truly embraced the LGBTQ plus people to tell them that they can have a safe place to worship. But I'll also say there is, it's almost like playing chess sometimes about where we can go and how we can act and, and what we can do. Um, you know, I, I'm fortunate. I'm, I'm a, a white male that um, still has extreme privilege. And, and I say that because there are um, my Black brothers and sisters and other people of color um, that are gay that don't have that same fortune. And so I make sure that I remember that in our programming and to make sure that all people are represented. Our board has... Um, it's half people of color and half uh, different ages and socioeconomical backgrounds. And so I make sure that we are represented well um, as, a, as an organization. But I will say, and the flip side of that, Jackson is growing. There are people in our community that planted seeds many years ago, and they never knew if we'd be able to do what we do now. And so because of those pioneers um, Sherry Cothran's of the world and Jack Myers of the world and and others that really planted seeds to be able to make sure that my life was a little bit better today. Um, that's what we celebrate. And so, um, you know, whether my lifetime, I see full rights for LGBTQ plus people, I'm not sure. Mississippi, especially, I'm just not sure. It's very, it'd be a lot easier for me and others to move to other states 
to be their most authentic self. And I'll say, I think that's where we're seeing a struggle in Mississippi. Our population is declining because great Mississippians that are part of our community um, have moved to bigger cities where they could be their most authentic self. But we're trying to make that narrative switch here. And we're trying to make a change where Mississippians stay and grow because, you know, we're just damn good people. You know, we pay taxes, we get up just like everybody else. We put our shoes on the same way. Many of us have jobs and families and most of us go to church and we just want to be treated just like everyone else. And so I'll say this, if you are an ally, by being an ally and being an advocate, you don't have to go and above and beyond and you know post everything on your Facebook or Instagram pages, but showing up at an event during Pride Month or other months really just shows that you are um, a silent member of our community and that you want our community to be safe um, and grow. And again, I'm, I'm really grateful for our allies and our community partners. Jason McCarty is executive director of Capital City Pride. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio coming up at 9. It's Deep South Dining. Then at 10, it's Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey. And at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. Find past installments of this and other Think Radio shows online at mpbonline.org. I'm Desiree Frazier. Join us tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio. Have a good day.